0: Hello and welcome to the Ascent Cycling Podcast hosted by myself, Guillaume, and my co-host, Joe Tims. You might know us as Black and Tim Soski. The Ascent Podcast is a brand new media on the cycling scene and we will be covering the world of professional cycling with race analysis, reviews, interviews, and more. It is a brand new project, which I know Joe is excited about and so am I, to be honest. And hopefully, you guys will be following along with us. Today, we will kick things off with our first ever review and analysis and our thoughts on La Vuelta a España 2020. But first, I think we should talk a little more about who we are, how this podcast came together and have you guys know a bit more about us.
1: Yes, welcome to the Ascent Cycling Podcast. You may know both myself and Guillaume from YouTube where we have both posted a range of content based around cycling and pro cycling manager, but we have really taken a greater interest recently in podcasting. We have collaborated with one another on our individual podcast previously, and hence the Ascent Cycling Podcast was born. The cycling season, of course, has just come to an end with La Vuelta a España, but we have a bunch of exciting content planned for you guys over the winter months, so hopefully you're looking forward to that. At the moment, though, the podcast is available on YouTube, Spotify, and very shortly will be on Apple Podcast 2, as well as a host of additional platforms. You can also follow the podcast over on Twitter. The link will be in the description and in the show notes.
0: But as we've mentioned in the introduction, today's first ever episode of the Ascent Cycling Podcast will be about the Vuelta, the final Grand Tour of the season that ended on this Sunday, 8th of November. A Vuelta won by none other than the Slovenian Primus Roglic, ahead of Richard Carapaz. And a bookie surprise in Hugh Carthy, We'll go more in detail into uh, some of the stages, but first we'll talk about the GC. A GC uh, with the likes of Valverde, Felix Groschartner, uh, David Gaudu, David de la Cruz, Workpools, Enric Mas, Dan Martin, and as I said, the podium of Carthy, Carapaz and Roglic. What do you make of this top 10, Joe?
1: I think Roglic and Carapaz were probably the two big favourites coming in, so no real surprise to see them finish on the podium in Madrid the definite surprise as you mentioned though was Hugh Carthy finishing in third right there what a performance he was right there too really uh, challenging the two big favorites Roglic and Carapaz right through the race obviously winning on the Anglerou too Um, I think Dan Martin can be happy with his top five maybe Emric Mass slightly disappointed with his fifth place position but yeah in the end really great battle between Primoz Roglic and Richard Carapaz and it was pleasant to see Roglic come out on top after missing out on the Tour de France in such heartbreaking fashion.
0: Yeah, exactly. I, I, I mean, I'm not the biggest fan of Jombo Visma. Uh I do like Roglic. Uh, he's had an incredible season, uh, missing out uh, in a very dramatic fashion on, on the win of the Tour de France, then winning Liege Bastogne. And for him to win La Vuelta is uh, a nice way to, to end the season and to end a 2020 season which was rather special compared to the others for reasons that we all know. Richard Carapaz maybe had the legs to, to go and get um, that GC win. I mean, he loses the GC by 24 seconds. I don't have the number in my head, but I'm pretty sure Primoz Roglic gained more than like 40 seconds just on bonus time, uh, on bonus seconds. So maybe... Some disappointment, some regrets from Richard Carapaz and yeah, Hugh Carthy in third place, absolutely massive performance from uh, the British rider of EF, who came here as the third leader, I- I'd suggest, of, um, of EF behind Michael Woods and Dan Martinez. Obviously Dan Martinez withdrawing very early on in the race and Michael Woods losing any hope of the GC after a crash in, um, in the first stage. Yeah, what a performance from Hugh Carthy, winning at the Anglia being the first ever Brit to win at the Anglia as well, after uh, having riders such as Christopher Freem climbing it. So yeah, absolutely massive. Dan Martin in fourth place for his potentially final year as a leader of the Grand Tour, as we'll have Chris Freem joining Israel next year. Henrik Maas, you've said in fifth place, uh, I do agree with you. I think he can be somewhat disappointed. And then we'll have a huge, huge gap to, uh, to sixth place onwards with Wout Pulse, David De La Cruz, David Godu. Uh, coming in at 8th place, very uh, very nice end of the Vuelta for David Godu, who technically might have been the teammate of Thibaut Pinot at the start. Lost a few seconds here and there, but with a huge, huge stage 17, he's managed to enter the top 10. Groscha 99, very nice job from Bora Hansgrohe, And finally to round up the uh, top 10 for two little seconds is the, the departing Alejandro Valverde. I mean, he, he still is incredible. The man is 40 and he tops in the top Grand Tour.
1: It's pretty special what he continues to do every year. I think we have maybe seen a slight step back from him this year. Not quite performing as he has done in previous seasons. He's been so dominant, really, well into his 30s. I think, if I'm not mistaken, this is the first season since, I think, the early 2000s where he hasn't won a stage or won a race throughout the entire season so maybe we are finally starting to see Valverde's age show somewhat I think it is his 20th top 10 at a Grand Tour which is just a incredible achievement that is for sure 20 top 10s in Grand Tours and of course winning the Vuelta Espana on the single occasion
0: I mean yeah you you've said it all regarding Valverde he basically nearly top ten the Tour de France as well. So for a man in his 40s to uh, nearly top-ten two Grand Tours with very short intervals between uh, the two of them is just absolutely incredible. It's, it's a performance that people might have uh, glanced over, but it genuinely is incredible. Just ahead of Vlasov, who lost a lot of times in um, the first stage, I think. And he'll, have, he, he'll kick himself for that because that was the top 10. Uh, then George Bennett, Michael Nieve, Guillaume Martin in 14th place who we'll talk about because he, he, did, um, he did win the mountain classification Sergio Nao, Sepkus, Mattia Cataneo for De Conant uh, not having the same luck as they had on Giro Marc Soler, Gorka and Gino Mada for the final ever Grand Tour of NTT an NTT team that did quite well um, in my opinion on this Volta.
1: yeah they definitely did and I think the emergence of Gino Mada was probably the highlight for them I don't think they took any stage wins unless i'm mistaken but Marder, stage 17 he came second beaten pretty comprehensively by godzu but Marder potentially showing himself as a future stage racer and i mean maybe a challenger in the future grand tours because he's still just 23 years old so yeah i think really the main highlight for ntt was was marda's promise uh, shown at this race
0: i agree i don't think he has a contract for next year as well the, the young swiss but uh, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, a team were to, to get him in the uh, next few days, especially with uh, the performances he's had uh, mainly on stage 17 at the Alto de la Covatilla. But yeah, a huge, huge race from Ginomera. But we're not going to delve uh, maybe a bit more into uh, some of the stages. One thing I have to mention, though, was which surprised me, you might be able to, uh, to help me there. Do you ever remember seeing a Grand Tour with only two riders wearing the leader's jersey? It's a
1: great question and a question I, I can't answer that. Obviously, it's rare for for the eventual winner to take the winner's jersey so early. Roglic took it on the first stage. He did lose it, of course, to Carapaz throughout the race, I think, a few times. But yeah, I can't remember an occasion where we only had two riders in red. Uh, can you?
0: Don't think so. I mean, on the Vuelta, I, ca- I can't. I think there might have been one occasion on, on the Tour de France at least, I mean, the last one I can remember, I think, I could be wrong, uh, it was when Bradley Wiggins won it, so that is 2012, I think? I could be wrong again, like, in the comments, uh, maybe people can, um, can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Fabian Cancellara had taken the jersey on day one, and he lost it to Wiggins, who then went on to, to win the Tour de France, uh, but that nearly was a decade ago, so yeah, it's, it's quite odd, especially when the race doesn't start with a time trial. But yeah, Primoz Roglic losing the jersey uh, twice, I believe, and uh, bringing it home uh, in Madrid. A little scare, I guess, on stage 17, but uh, he can thank Movistar, who uh, did a nice job of bringing him back on, uh, on Carapaz. Maybe, uh, maybe some salt from uh, the Spanish-established team, which was um, their former leader in Carapaz.
1: Exactly. It has to be the big talking point coming out of the final week of the race. Karapaz attacking Primoz Roglic on the cover tier with 3k to go in the Vuelta and Movistar other team to help Primoz Roglic bring back in Richard Karapaz. Obviously they're going to say they were pacing for Enric Mass to try and gain that fourth place from Dan Martin. I don't think that was ever really on to be honest with you. However whether they intended to disadvantage Karapaz at all and help Primoz Roglic I don't think it matters too much in the end because I think Primoz Roglic would have had this one in hand anyway. He may have gained five seconds, 10 seconds at a max, and he won by 24 seconds in the end. So I don't think Movistar, Movistar pacing really was the reason that Carapaz lost this race.
0: Yeah, I, I do agree. I do agree. I don't think he would have lost uh, the jersey. I think he was in this climb. Sure, he was not as good as a Carapaz, but he was good enough to uh, to retain his uh, his jersey. And with all the bonus seconds he took, he was fortunate enough to uh, bring the red in Madrid. One of the other talking points uh, I'd have is regarding the parkour of the race. We only had, I believe, three sprint stages, a final week, which I don't know what to make of it because there was no, I mean, we had La Covatia, show on, on on a Saturday, but For the rest of the time, there was no real GC stage in the final week. And I feel like that was uh, a bit disappointing. It's
1: an interesting point for sure, because when we take a closer look at stage 15, for example, we had plenty of climbs scattered throughout the stage and throughout the other stages, really, in that final week. But stage 15, in the end, was won by Jasper Philipson ahead of Pascal Ackman, I think. Sam Bennett was dropped, but those two guys still there right at the front of the race in the bunch sprint. But we did have over 4,000 meters of climbing throughout the day, over 200 kilometers. So clearly a difficult stage, but we did have a long descent flat section into the finish, which really prevented those GC attacks from taking place. I think this comes down to whether the organizers intended for the race to be ridden like this. Perhaps they intended for a lot of the GC to be decided early on and then perhaps trying to force some creative and inventive strategies and tactics in that final week to try and force some differences. But obviously that didn't really take place with the only GC day really being the cover on stage 17.
0: I agree. And speaking of uh, tactics, one team surprised me with their tactics during um, the final week. First, we've had Ineos on stage 16, um, ending in a very heartbreaking manner. The, uh, the SKP of Remy Cavagna, who nearly pulled an absolute masterclass. Um, but Ineos caught him up just to allow Primoz Roglic to finish second. So, yes, that, that was very odd. And also, on the Alto de la Covatia, an absolute monster ride from Ida Schelling the teammate of Groschartner pacing on La Covattia on his own for like six, seven kilometers with no purpose just to keep the seventh place of Groschartner, which he did not keep.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, some puzzling decisions. I think they needed Schelling to come to the front earlier on because Movistar uh, put the gap down to around a minute, just over a minute. And then, of course, Solaire attacked. And by the foot of the Covatia, I think the gap was over three minutes almost four minutes to the breakaway uh so really Bora needed some tempo there to help uh help Groszartner out but yeah some puzzling decisions for sure and going back to the Cavagna attack and the Ineos pacing that was very puzzling very very puzzling because they've had limited domestiques throughout the race really Froome has struggled Ivan Sosa has struggled too so using up a lot of domestiques really for no apparent reason on that stage was puzzling to me for sure. And I was rooting for Cavagna so badly in that stage. What a rider. He has so much power just to hold off the peloton for as long as he did was pretty special. And yeah, he was brought in for real, no apparent reason.
0: I think everyone was rooting for Cavagna that day. Just a monster ride from a rider that should not even have been on this Vuelta. He replaced his the next Chiba, I believe two or three days before uh, the start of the race. And yeah, I mean, he was on the highest possible gear. And I felt like he needed one more. That's how sh- that's how powerful he was. Like, there was, uh, I, th- I think it was, was it Movistar that led the chase behind him? I think he was Movistar. And there was five riders of movie star relaying each other, yet losing time and losing ground on a lone Rémi Cavagna. Just absolutely stupendous ride and it's it's a big shame that uh that he couldn't go to the end but yeah an odd race from from Ineos uh you said that Chris Freeman Sousa went in in the greatest of shapes we saw Chris being below average we'll say on on the first stages I have never seen Ivan Sousa across the entire race I have no idea what he did I did not even know he was there and I know that because I have a playthrough with Ineos. I did not see Ivan Souza during this race.
1: A very disappointing race from Sosa, it has to be said. I mean, on paper, he should have been right there with Carapaz, probably after Amador, because he's won some, some good races in South America, beating guys like Carapaz, Lopez, and really competing with them. And I'm not sure what it is. He's had a few grand tours now. I think he went to the Giro last year, and he really struggled there too. He seems to really struggled just throughout the three-week races. That's something for him to work on. He's still just 23, so we have to take that into account. He's not... He's only human. We can only ask so much of him. But yeah, Sosa really has showed a lot of promise and hopefully he can improve in the Grand Tours because he has the potential, I think. Uh, So yeah, we'll see what he can do going forwards.
0: Yeah, it's quite rare, especially for a rider from Ineos to struggle on on Grand Tours. I had him in my favorites to challenge at least for the white jersey and yeah just a big big question mark on uh, on Souza's abilities uh on a three-week uh, on a three-week race but in uh, an era where all the um, the GC winners are now very young I mean Pogachar on the Tour de France, Tau Guggenhardt his teammate on um on the Giro he he needs to make sure that he doesn't miss the cut otherwise Souza's career might take uh, a turn quite soon
1: Yeah, definitely. Especially as Ineos are so Grand Tour focused. Uh, Yeah, we'll see what he can do. I expect he'll probably start the season well next year, depending where the season starts, because we know we're not going to Australia as we would usually for the Tour Down Under. But yeah, we'll see what Sosa can do next year. Going back to Froome though, very disappointing for Froome. I think people had limited expectations of him coming in. He said he wasn't gonna ride the GC beforehand and he was riding in support of Carapaz. But looking at his results, he didn't finish inside the top 50 on a single stage at this race. Just showing, I guess, how much he struggles. I expected him to improve a little bit in the final in the final week, in the final stages, because we know how good he can be in the final weeks. But yeah, he just he just struggled so much throughout the race. And I really hope he can at least regain some of the form and some of the the fitness, I guess, that he's had in the past going to Israel next year. What do you think? Can Freem improve? Can he get back anywhere near his previous level next year?
0: I've always been a, a massive, massive fan of, of Chris Freem. Ever since, was it twenty yeah 2012 and uh, the, the Wiggins-Freem Tour de France, I guess. I've always been a fan of Chris. It's heartbreaking to, to see him like that. It really is. Because I knew he wasn't going to challenge for, the, for the, the GC. However, there was a part of me that still believed in him and I was like all right maybe he's just saying he's not going to challenge but I mean we know that Ineos are a team that can bluff Chris Froome can bluff comes the first stage and I see him being dropped in the penultimate climb I'm like ah so he wasn't bluffing maybe he'll pick up the form in the final week maybe he'll go for the mountain classification maybe he'll go for the stage win on the Angliru he didn't. He didn't. He's never been there. The, I think the, the most I've seen of Chris was on the time trial, because he spent the entire climb of the Mirador de Zaro with Kuhn de Kort. It, it was just sad. I was sad, because I love Chris Froome, and I hope um, I said on, on Twitter earlier today, I genuinely hope he can go back to his level, or at least close to his level with Israel. I have little hope that it will happen, but I'd love it so much if he could come back. I love Chris Froome. I genuinely do. I love this man. And it was just very sad to, to to see him struggle like this. It was sad. We'll see what he
1: can do next year at Israel. I mean, it's going to be a fun team. They have Dan Martin. Is Dan Martin going to be asked to work for Froome after this race? I can't imagine so. Uh, so we'll see how those guys get on. Hopefully Froome can take the time, I guess, in the off-season just to get back somewhat to... Maybe not Grand Tour winning, but maybe riding a GC race. That's what I'd like to see. If Froome can ride a GC race at a Grand Tour and stay somewhat in contention with the main GC guys, I think I think that's what we can hope to see from Froome because based on what we've seen at this race, I really, I'm just not sure he can he can win another Grand Tour. Um, I think that would be fair to say.
0: I was looking at the uh, roster for, for Israel next year. They have a roster extremely axed for the Barudas. Like they're gonna have the likes of De Markey, Carl Friedrich Hagen, Michael Woods, Ben Hermans, Chris Nielsen, Dan Martin, and Chris Froome. It's I have no idea what the hierarchy in this team is gonna be, because Michael Woods could ask potentially to challenge for a GC. You never know. He's had a decent Vuelta. Dan Martin has had a decent Vuelta. Chris Froome did not have a decent Vuelta, but it's Chris Froome. I do not know what's going to happen. We're always talking about like the Ineos dilemmas for, for leaders. But this one here, it's a really odd one. Because Karl-Franich Hagen can also say, yeah, did the top 10 once.
1: Yeah, it's a intriguing team, that's for sure. A very interesting team because we don't know what they're going to focus on. I think, really, at the moment, they're one gc leader you could say is dan martin and even he is perhaps more uh despite his good performance at this race he's maybe more suited to the one day races mike woods you could say too who's joining the team next year so i think froome definitely will be given the freedom to ride a gc race at a grand tour if he chooses to i think that probably would have been part of the deal with him joining the team there otherwise i can't imagine he'd have gone to israel limited mountain domestiques that's for sure I think he'll still get his chances, definitely, even considering his performance at, at, uh, at the Vuelta this year.
0: Well, let's hope so. Let, let's hope so, because, I mean, it's Chris Froome nonetheless. Like, he, he's a superstar in the world of cycling, and seeing him as a domestique did not please me whatsoever.
1: No, nope, I certainly agree. Anyhow, I'm going to go back to the bonus seconds conversation, because you mentioned it earlier. Roglic gains 48 bonus seconds throughout the race. 48 bonus seconds. That's almost a minute just in bonus seconds at the line, whilst Carapaz, I think he gains 16 seconds. So that would have swung the GC, as you mentioned earlier, in Carapaz's favour. So we've had a rider finishing in less time and not winning the GC. What's your opinion on bonus seconds? Because historically, it's always been the rider with the fewest time the shortest time throughout the race winning the gc and it it just seems slightly strange that that isn't happening right now with the bonus seconds do you like the bonus the bonus second system
0: i know at one point i think the tour de france had removed them from i believe 2011 to a year which i cannot remember and they they introduced it back i think having bonus seconds is a good way to motivate a rider Obviously, there's the unwritten rule on the last stage that you don't attack. But Vlasov could have entered the top 10 of the GC today had he gone for the intermediate sprint to get the three seconds. I think it's a good incentive to get bonus seconds so that you can increase your position somewhere in the GC. I think I also like what the Tour de France did with the uh, bonus time on certain climbs. That was a very nice add as well. And... I think it's probably like the first time we have a rider that finishes in less time at another one, but yet doesn't win it because of bonus seconds. I don't know what to make of it. I think it all comes down to Ineos not uh, fighting the same way as Jumbo. I think Jumbo was like always there for the stage wins. Roglic is a more suited rider for sprint finishes, I guess, than the Carapaz. Uh, I mean... I think Roglic has, what, three stage wins uh, on this Tour, Maybe a bit more, actually. Uh, maybe f- four stage wins?
1: I think it was four, yeah.
0: Yeah. but Oh, yeah, but one is a time trial. So, like, he's taken 30 seconds solely on wins. And then he's got a, a few podiums here and there. there. There's a part of me uh, that's saying that it's sad to, to see someone winning thanks to bonus seconds. But at the end of the day, the rule is there and you better make the most of it. And that's what Roglic did. I mean, we had basically a similar discussion with Joe Almeida on the Giro because he had like, taken a lot of bonus seconds to try and anticipate maybe a, a tough day on the Stelvio. Well, he had a very tough day that day. But had he won the GC thanks to bonus seconds, we probably would have had uh, the same conversation there. I'd say it's Ineos' fault. Well, not, not their fault necessarily, but it's Yombo that did well.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. I like the bonus second system. It is slightly odd that the rider is winning the winning the GC overall despite finishing in a longer time, but the bonus seconds are there. They rewards aggressive riders with a good sprint, and Roglic is better than almost anyone, any other GC rider in the world, bar maybe Tadej Pogacar. So I think he should be rewarded for that. So yeah, I'm definitely in favour of the bonus seconds system. And Roglic, a very good sprinter, I think he had three second places as well as his four stage wins. So that's how he's got to that 48 second total, just an incredible well-rounded rider to be as good as he is in the mountains. And yeah, I think the bonus seconds really reward that.
0: One of the other teams that came in with, uh, in this vuelta with some ambitions was the Groupama fdj team which still had Thibaut Pinot at the very beginning Uh, Thibaut who had withdrawn from the Tour de France and um, came here we didn't really know how Um, on paper he was the leader but uh, there was talk that he was going to be the teammate of David Godu and it turns out he withdrew very early on Uh, David Godu with a very nice race including two stage wins carrying on with the trends of Frenchies getting two wins we had Barguil a few years ago. We had Thibaut Pinot a few years ago. But I think there was one rider that surprised you a bit more than David Godot in this Group amf team Joe,
1: That certainly was. That man is Bruno Amarai, a great rider, such a great rider. He's 26 years old and he's, I think, according to Pro Cycling stats, 1m90, 74kg. But this man is so well-rounded. If any of you guys follow me on Twitter, you will have seen towards the beginning of the race, I was watching this guy closely because in the first 11 stages, he finished in the top 50 in all of those stages. And this happens regularly at a Grand Tour, but almost only with the GC riders. This man is a pure domestique. He is riding in the service of Godou basically for the entire race he was after after Pino withdrew from the race early on. For example, I think it was the stage Godou won. was it stage 11? Amirai was pulling all day in the breakaway trying to give Godou that gap staying with him and then continuing to finish in the top 50 and he did this day after day until I think stage 12 where he was 56th and he missed out on the top 50 a few times after that but I was really impressed with this man he also finished in the top five in the individual time trial and yeah I would love to see Bruno given a few more chances to ride for himself next year because he's clearly very strong I think on the stage, Cavania was reeled in late on. I think Amrai tried a late attack on that stage too. Uh, he was brought in there by the sprint trains. But yeah, really impressed with this man.
0: I hadn't noticed uh, his performances until you actually tweeted about it. Well, right. Uh, and you said that he was in the breakaway, the stage of you win, 1. He was actually in both breakaways on the two stages David won was uh, stage 11 and stage 17. And yeah, as well, a top five on uh, on the time trial. Not to mention, um, he actually got third on the um, time trial in France as well. Behind Cavagna and uh, I can't remember who was second. But some decent performances f- the entire season, actually. Because even on the down-under, I was just uh, scrolling through uh, pro cycling stats. He finished fourth on the Willinger Hill. And that's not something I knew, nor that I expected from Bruno Armirai. But yeah, he's 26 years old. He's got a bright future ahead of him. Maybe not as a DC leader, but uh, if he could see a few opportunities, maybe like Rémi Cavagna, a level below, I guess the, the rider from the Conanque, What a race by Bruno Armirai and what a race from FDG as well.
1: I also want to point out another French rider that actually really impressed me on the race too. And he rides for ag 2 r and he goes by the name of doria godon a really good performance by him too a very similar rider i would say to Amurai, because he's very tall he's quite heavy compared to some of the lighter climbers for sure but he can get over the climbs very capably i think he had a few top tens in the final stages i think the stage that philipson won he was right there in the sprint he's quite a good sprinter too another really well-rounded rider and Godon, I think we knew a bit more about coming into the race because he did win, was it Paris Camembert, I think, coming into La Vuelta in September. But Godon, another rider who really impressed me and Godon and Amurai, I think, could be, could be quite the force going forward in French cycling. I'm, I'm very excited to see what these guys can become.
0: I think, yeah, they blend in well in the current thread of cycling. Um, very powerful riders that can go basically on every terrain. Uh, you've mentioned Dorian Godon. Uh, I will talk about Clément Champoussin, who was giving his first ever chance as a, as a GC leader. He's had some decent performances uh, on some stages. I think he got a top 10 um, on uh, the Alto de Montcalvio I can't remember which position, but I, I might have been 10th, actually. Um, he is very young. He's 22. He was still a trainee a couple of years ago. But he did ride very oddly at one point. I think Aja de Der, Their tactics were not on point. Uh, they were extremely unlucky. We'll, we'll have to say that because they lost three riders on the first day or like the first two days, which... Isn't usually something that happens, but they tried to basically ride as if they were fighting for GC, and I think that might have hindered their chances of getting a stage win. But Jean Poussin, Dorian Godon, Nance Peters as well, who had won a stage on the Tour de France, they all came in quite close to uh, winning a stage uh, on the Vuelta, and that was that was nice to see. Uh, and we're going to continue on the the Frenchies with another French team and another French rider, Guillaume Martin. What a ride what a rider the man basically sealed the mountain classifications with like four days left he's at 100 points second place is Timo wellens with 34.
1: he was pretty impressive it has to be said he i think went all in for the the km jersey very early on in the race which which i guess helped secure him the jersey which also i think hindered his chances in grabbing a stage win because he did look quite labored at times because he was going up the roads so consistently, so aggressively every single day where there were any mountain points available. But of course, coming off the Tour de France as well, really, really nice ride by Guillaume martin of, uh, of Cofidis.
0: I mean, yeah, we, we had talked about him um, when we uh, debriefed our Tour de France. He finished 11th of the GC there. I think he, he basically knew that um, winning the Grand Tour would be impossible. And Cofidis has a history of having stage wins on La Vuelta. They have the Pedigree, uh, I mean, they did have David Moncoutier who won countless stages and also, I mean, a lot of mountain jersey. I think Nicolas Ede was one of the riders that also won a mountain jersey for Cofidis in the um, the, the the years after David Moncoutier. So it was nice to see uh, yet another rider from Cofidis, another French rider, getting uh, getting this jersey. But yeah, uh, sadly, sadly he didn't get that stage win. He finished just behind Tim Wellen on stage five. He's got like... A few top tens, it's a shame. I would have loved to see Guillaume Martin winning a stage. He would have deserved it, but it, it just wasn't, wasn't meant to be for, uh, for the leader of Cofidis, who I am absolutely certain will see in the next few years trying to uh, to get that maiden grotto win. Definitely. I, I hope he can
1: get it, and I definitely think he will be able to get it. So staying on the uh, topic of French riders, let's go to FDJ. Godou, Thibaut Pino. Godu has shown what he can do this year at the Vuelta, two stage wins, and he got stronger as the race went on too. I think he lost quite a bit of time early on. I think on the first stage, actually, he lost four minutes or five minutes uh, to Roglic and a few other GC guys. But Godou was so strong in some of those breakaways. On uh, stage 17, he, he just destroyed everyone in that breakaway. He was so, so good on that final climb. I would love to see Godou given the opportunity to ride for GC. I think coming into this race, they actually mentioned he may try and go for GC, but he did lose that time earlier on. But yeah, I'd love to see Godou try GCs more often. And he's so often working for Thibaut Pinot as a super domestique, or he has been so far in his, in his young career. Do you think, it's time for FDJ to change their strategy with these guys because Godou is improving every year. Pino's has, of course, a nightmare season. I think it would be fair to call it. How are these guys going to approach next season?
0: Well, I'm going to be extremely honest. I don't think that FDJ will, will change something on their leadership. I think Thibaut Pino is the rider and then there's riders around him. What I could have an issue with, or not an issue, but I could have a doubt with, is going to be for the Tour de France next year. Because we've had Arnaud Demar on the Giro, being an absolute monster of a sprinter. And, I mean, he's French. He most likely wants to go for the Tour de France and go grab that green jersey. If you already have Demar, you're going to need, like, two guys with him. And if you want to go for the GC as well, you're going to need Pinot a few riders around. That leaves, in my opinion, a three-element card to David Gaudu on either of the two other Grand Tours, whether they are the Giro or the Vuelta. I think, they, I mean, the mountain is not where FDJ usually has the best of riders. They have riders that can climb. They have uh, Gaudu, they have Valentin Madouas, they ha- I believe they have Attila Valta for next year. They have the likes of Molar, Reichenbach, but they're not top, top riders. Um, and I think David can genuinely... Try to go for a GC, maybe not winning it. I do believe that the top five could be in his bag. Uh Should the the race condition suit him? If there's too many time trials, then I think he's done.
1: To be honest, I probably agree with you because FDJ, Mark Madier, they they love Thibaut Pinot. They are all in for Thibaut Pinot. It seems to me, at least from the outside looking in, and I just wonder now. Godou has got those first Grand Tour stage wins in the bag. Uh, of course winning his first two Grand Tour stage wins at the Vuelta whether he might be more inclined to go for GC because he can continue to ride like this and just pick up stage wins and uh, stage victories in a variety of Grand Tours I'm sure going forward because he is just so strong compared to the rest of the guys going up breakaways usually and you mentioned his time trial too I thought that was a big kind of stumbling block for him when going for for the GC but he did finish in the top 30 of the time trial at this race which of course isn't great but I think it's a a step for him to improve that real weakness of the time trial he finished one second behind Valverde I think it was two minutes 28 down on Roglic in the end of course it's still a lot of time but it's an improvement on what he's done in the past
0: I mean sure it is an improvement but it's still two and a half minutes and I think the closest um, rider I could... I mean, if I think of God's GC and, and TT, the one rider that jumps in my head would be someone like Purito that is strong uh, when the road goes upwards. But as soon as you put him on a time drill bike, he's finished. And two and a half minutes is a lot. It's, it's a lot. You don't often come back off two and a half minutes on someone who's basically the favorite to, to win a Grand Tour. I mean, that's how, that's basically one of the reasons why Carapaz lost the Giro, the Giro, the Vuelta. And Carapaz basically put two minutes on Goodyear as well. So I think he needs to improve a lot. I think FDG as a whole needs to improve on the, uh, the time trial element. They were rumored to, uh, to get Victor Campanatz for next year. I don't know if that's still in the books, but if it is, he could be a crucial element to try and improve both Thibaut's and David's abilities when it comes to the solo effort.
1: I completely agree. Anyhow, let's let's go and look at the front of the race because we haven't spoken a lot about about Roglic and Carapaz. And I mean, Primoz Roglic, he got a lot of stick, I think, after the Tour de France for for bottling it, for losing it in the final time trial. I'm just gonna read out a tweet I saw earlier. I think it's from Cafe Roubaix. Primoz Roglic's last 13 stage races that he finished. The results were first, 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 fourth, third, first, 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 third, first, first, second, and first. I mean, this man, is he human? Because he is so consistent. I know he sometimes has the the stigma attached to him that he fades in three weeks. In the final weeks of stage races which we we maybe did see a little bit at the Welter again but he is just so strong throughout so many stages throughout the entire season we've got to give this man some more credit i think he is he's is so good he is just so so dominant
0: i think a lot of uh, a lot of people were happy to see pugachar win the Tour de France i think Roglic's uh, performance was like he got a lot of stick for it and to see him nearly bottling it again on stage seventeen of this vuelta, I think a lot of people maybe thought that the his demons will come and haunt him again, and he would bottle it again. Uh, but you've mentioned his track record over the past. Uh, was it the thirteen last stage races? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. Is he human? Genuinely, it's it's incredible. It's incredible. He he is for me the best rider of twenty twenty. I know uh, Benji did a uh, like a poll. Uh, it was between him, Von Art, uh, and two other guys. I know Von Art has won it. In my opinion, Roglic is the rider of 2020. And in the last thirteen stage races, that doesn't even include his win on Liege Baston Liege, which is not a race I expected him to win at all.
1: No, although I did I do think he did get some help there, didn't he, from Julian Alaphilippe. Um oh, because I think Hershey would have beaten them all in the sprint. But anyhow, yeah, he did win Liege, he was there in the world championships top 10 he was right there in the in the in the front group obviously bar uh, Julian Alaphilippe but he was right there Rokolic as well in the world championships he's so consistent and he's now 31 he can definitely go on and challenge for Grand Tours for the next the next couple of years at least and he is so difficult to beat
0: I don't know what you, do you make of it because he came in very late on this on the scene as well uh i think he joined like young L- in 2016 i think when he joined he probably wasn't considered to be a, a gt guy let's not forget this man used to ski jump and now he's destroying grand tours everywhere what right what right and i mean sure roglet is strong but we do have to to give a lot of um, a lot of shout to his team Yombo, who have been as well very strong one rider, in my opinion, that surprised me was Jonas Wengergaard. I I mean, I knew about him coming into this race. Uh, I had seen him mainly on the Tour of Pologne. Uh, I think it was last year. But this year, he stepped up to another level, uh, basically like a Sepp on the Tour de France, who just became an absolute beast and no one really expected it. Jonas Vingegaard was this rider. He dropped George Bennett quite a few times on basically every single climb. Just that team: Roglic, Hessink, Kuss, Bennett, Wingergaard. Uh, I think there was Hofstetter. I can't remember the two other guys that that were with um with Jan I think Paul Martens might have been one of them. But oh, uh, Tom Dumoulin. Tom Dumoulin was the other rider from uh, from Jan Bobisma. I'm completely, I have completely lost my mind. Oh, imagine if that team had Tom Dumoulin as well till the end. Like it would have been, it would have been too easy for Roglic to win. So it's a good thing that Zimolal withdrew. But compared to Ineos' squad, uh, we've talked briefly about Freeman and Souza. Ineos' team was not good, in my opinion. Sure, you have Carapaz, right? That, that's, that's very good. But you have a weakened crest frame. And even Souza that disappeared. I think they had Brandon Miss Rivera, but I'm pretty convinced he withdrew along the way. Michal Golas, Van Barle Amado, They did the work for, um, for Carapaz. And I think there was one more guy. Uh, was it Cameron? Yeah, it was Cameron worth It's not a team that you'd expect to win a GC. That's taken into consideration that Chris Romensoza were not there. Carapaz had two teammates in Amado and Van Baarle. Roglic had an entire team around him. Ineos,
1: I think, have done... Carapaz, no favours at this race. Carapaz was so strong and it could well have made the difference had he had a really strong team that, that's not lie, they they have the riders. They didn't go to this race. I think obviously they focused on on the Tour de France with Bernal, Bernal ending his season early. Geraint Thomas, of course, focusing on the Giro, which uh, we know that ended unfortunately for him. They're Dennis, Ghana, Gagan Hart, the Giro. We don't need to go through their entire team because we know they are, They're pretty stacked with strong GC riders, but the guys who went to this race definitely didn't perform for Carapaz. And 24 seconds, somewhere along the line, that could have been made up with a super strong team helping out Carapaz, I'm sure. Carapaz was by himself, I think for the final 50K of the final GC day, Stage 17, he was, he was completely isolated for for the entire finale of the GC, and he still took the challenge to Roglic in the end. So yeah, hats off to Carapaz, really, really put up the fight, but done no favors by his own team.
0: If you come back to that final GC day, um, in I can't remember the entire breakaway, but I know Yumbo had Hofstadter. If Ineos had had someone strong enough to go in that breakaway and then help out Carapaz when he attacked. That could have been the main difference. That could have been those 24 seconds. I mean, sure, I didn't count on Movistar at that point. But the 24 seconds could have been made there. And you've you've put it very nicely that Carapaz was strong, but his team did him no favours. Absolutely. Absolutely. Carapaz left Movistar to go to a team with good tactics. Sadly, this just wasn't it for Minos this year. I, on my own, want to talk a bit more about Hugh Carthy. Because, as I said at the very beginning, he came in, in my opinion, as the third wheel, I guess, of, of EF behind um, Dan Martinez and Michael Woods. And the man stepped up, genuinely stepped up to get a podium finish on the Vuelta. I don't know what the odds were for UCarthy at the start, but they probably were the same as like Jay Hindley's chances of getting a podium on the Giro.
1: Yeah, no, that would have been big. that would have been big, that's for sure. I'm not sure what they were, but they'd have been big. Hugh Carthy, what a performance. 26 years old. He got the win on the Anglery 2, his first Grand Tour stage win, uh, unless I'm horrendously mistaken right there. Really haven't seen too much of him prior to this race. I mean, looking at his Palmares now, I know he went to the Giro last year and he was quite impressive. He went in a few breakaways and rose pretty strongly with the GC guys, for a lot of the race, but certainly we've never seen this level from Hugh Carthy. So really, again, it's intriguing to see whether EF will put him straight into that GC leading role next year at the Vuelta, Giro, even the Tour, who knows, with Danny Martinez leaving, remember? So Hugh Carthy, has he really catapulted himself into a Grand Tour, a, a, a consistent Grand Tour leading position?
0: I think he's done what it takes uh you've said dan martinez is leaving michael woods is also leaving them they have rigoberto uran and new uh i think he's he's done enough to uh, earn a um a shout uh, at um, a shout a short sorry at a leadership position on the grand tour you said that you hadn't seen much of him on, until this race i think the main stage uh, i remember from you was on the Tour de Suisse where he attacked on his own at the very start of a stage. I think it, it was like a 120k stage on the Tour de Suisse, or 100km stage actually. And he just did the entire stage on his own, and he just won it. That's that's at this point I was like, okay, okay, I'm I'm gonna watch the, this Ducati kind of guy. I think he had like top 10 on, the, no, he was 11th on the Giro. Yeah, he was 11th on the Giro. But prior to, like, that stage on the Tour de Suisse, he hadn't done a lot of things, in my opinion. He had a, an average Tour de France this year. I just learned that he actually did it. But, yeah, I hadn't expected him to be at this level on the Vuelta. And with Martinez-Enwoods leaving, I think he's the second leader of EF behind Rigoberto Uran uh, and ahead of riders such as, like, TJ van Garderen, who was on this Vuelta, for those who didn't know. But I don't blame you for not knowing. free tj free tj (laughs) tj in yellow (laughs) no he was anonymous
1: i think that's fair to say what's happened to tj someone please help us out but anyway hugh carthy has such a strong performance like you say 25 seconds down in the tt he was he was fourth place in the tt and one thing i think that we can definitely take from this race is that he's a three-week racer he can ride through the three weeks get stronger with every stage and really, uh, he won't fade throughout the three weeks, very much like Carapaz, I think, has proved on, on uh, multiple occasions. So I'm completely with you right there. Hugh Carthy is uh, definitely going to get a leading role at Grand Tour. Can he get another podium? I think it's going to be a big ask for him to win a Grand Tour, although he was very, very close this year. But yeah, first podium. It'll be great to see him on there again.
0: It's a big ask for him to get another podium, but I think he can do it. He He will need a lot of things going his way. But I think he might have what it takes. Then in fourth place, we've got Dan Martin. Uh, he likes the Vuelta. He often top-10s the Vuelta. I expected him to finish along those lines, maybe a bit below. Um, so it, it's actually a nice performance from, uh, from the Irish rider. Henrik Mas in fifth. I'm a bit disappointed. Uh, I won't lie. He was my third place uh, when the Giro sta- the Vuelta started. I will, however, mention Werth Pulse. He's done it again. He just loves the sixth place on the Vuelta. He had done it, I think, in 2018 or 27. No, it was 2017, I think. He's just done it again. And as the leading rider of Bahrain, a Bahrain team that did well on the Giro with Payu Bilbao, that did well on the Tour de France with Mikel Lander. This team is just always there. And you love to see it. You certainly do. I mean
1: they have a strong team because I think Pool's hasn't quite shown his previous form earlier this year and perhaps last year too but really showing himself to be a strong GC rider again at this year's Vuelta where he has shown he can really still lead a grand tour rather than acting as a domestique as he did for so long at Team Sky Uh, but yeah like you say Bahrain McLaren I think they're becoming Bahrain victorious if I'm not mistaken next year but Anyhow, they have some very strong riders who seem to be improving with age. Bilbao, Caruso, let's not forget him. He was very good at the Tour de France with uh, Michael Landa. This team are really developing into a, into a strong uh, Grand Tour contending team. Okay, so I think we're going to round up this pod pretty soon. One last question before we do so. Guillaume, who was your surprise in a positive sense, your real surprise package of the race, as well as your disappointment of this year's World a España?
0: I'll start with my disappointment. My disappointment was Chris Froome. Uh, I've, I've mentioned and talked about him uh, a lot of, already on this podcast. So you probably already know the, uh, the answers. My surprise rider is, is going to be a Belgian. He has a wonderful first name. He also is 24 years old. It's Kobe Gosens. I might be butchering his last name. Um, but you talked about Bruno Mirai being always in the top 50. I think the worst position that goes Gouzenazar is 65 on today's stage, but the rest of the time he was, I think, always in the top 50. He had uh, he had a 53rd position. He finishes in the top 25 of the of the GC in a Lotto Sudel team which had no intentions whatsoever GC wise. They got their stage win with Team Wellens, and I think he he's not himself proud. There's a nice contingent of youngsters in the lotus team, the likes of Harm van Hoek, which we, we saw on uh, on the Giro, and uh, Kobe Gosens on this Vuelta. lotus has some nice prospects and uh, the Belgian will be my surprise of this year's edition of La Vuelta. I will return the question. Joe, who was your main surprise and your main disappointment uh, of this year's Vuelta?
1: I'm gonna go for two riders who were uh, next to each other in the GC, actually. The rider I was most impressed with on the Vuelta was Bruno Amarai. Have to go with him after how much I was bigging him up earlier in the podcast. Really consistent performance despite acting in a pure domestique role throughout much of the race. Very consistent over all terrains. I'm really excited to see what this guy can do going forward. If not him, I would have maybe said Rob Stannard who impressed me very much throughout the race. Anyhow, onto my disappointment. I'm going to go with Esteban Chavez. He finished 27th in the GC. He looked very promising at the start of the race. I think he was right there with the the league guys on the first stage. Um, and it seems that Chavez would again be putting together a real GC charge in a Grand Tour, like he did on the Giro now a few years ago, but he faded so much. He faded so much throughout the race. After looking so promising, I, he, looking at the results now, he was fourth place on stage one. And on stage 17, the final GC day, he finished 116th, just dropping straight out of the GC battle. Chavez, now 30 years old, we all love him. He doesn't stop smiling. It would be nice to see him put together a three-week performance again. Whether it's going to happen or not, though, I'm not too sure. Okay, then, guys, I think we've wrapped up everything pretty much we hope to touch on on the welter maybe it's gone on slightly longer than we than we'd hoped but anyhow really hope you've enjoyed the inaugural ascent cycling podcast with myself and uh and Guillaume hopefully if you did make sure you hit the follow subscribe buttons as well you can find me personally on twitter at Tim Zoski as well as on youtube Guillaume
0: where can the guys find you You can find me on YouTube, youtube.com slash BlackWall. You can also find me on Twitter at KBlackWall and on Instagram. As Joe said, uh, we do hope you've enjoyed this inaugural uh, podcast of the Ascent uh, channel. Joe, final word? Keep on smiling, Esteban. Goodbye.